0: Hey everyone, welcome to Grace Community Church of Willow Street's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how you can be more engaged with our church, check us out online at gccws.net or you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. We are praying that it leads you into a growing relationship with Jesus.
1: Perfect. What do I do? <laughs> Join me as we pray together. Our Father, we are a grateful people today. We're grateful to be able to worship you freely in our country. We're grateful for the brilliance of the Declaration of Independence, which drew many principles from the scripture. We're grateful for founding fathers, not all of whom were Christian, but their willingness to draw upon your authority and their willingness to believe in original sin and build checks and balances into our government because of that. We're grateful for those that have died on behalf of this creed and this belief, for those that have sacrificed their very lives, So that we could worship freely in this country. Lord, we're also reminded, too, that sometimes we take this this freedom of religion for granted. So, Lord, forgive us for that. Forgive us, Lord, for complacency and apathy, for not remembering the distinctiveness and exclusivity of Jesus as the only way to heaven, the only way to find forgiveness. We pray, Lord, across this country that you would bring revival in the church. We pray for those churches that are running away from Scripture. And Lord, we we humbly ask that you would help us to not be prideful in our doctrine, but seek to have sound theology and then live that out well with grace and truth. We're also reminded of brothers and sisters around the world who, by their very faith in Christ, risk their lives and their families' lives. So, Lord, we humbly are grateful for this day to be able to worship you in, in grace and truth. We pray that Grace Community Church would be a safe place where broken people like me can find healing and we pray Lord that when others look at Grace Community Church they would see you Lord we pray that you would show us how to shed and let go of those things that we are trying to find meaning from that are found wanting so that you are the one that fills that hole in our heart for forgiveness and for purpose in living we pray for your church around the world the persecuted church, brothers and sisters that don't have freedom. Lord, help us to remember them, and even they, us. And Lord, relative to our community, we experienced great great loss this past week, the loss of three young lives, the Westminster Youth Group child, and the two young people from CV School District. Lord, we pray that you would minister in the loss of these precious lives. Minister to the families and friends. May they see Jesus somehow in the midst. We're thankful, Lord, that you do meet us at at our point of need. We're also grateful for the resettlement of the Afghani family this past Thursday. And we pray that you would continue to resource and give wisdom to our resettlement team. You would let this young mother know that you love her very much and give her wisdom as these four children adjust to life in a new country. Lord, you remind us that you are no respecter of persons and you are truly a cross-cultural God. So with that, Father, we look forward to your servant bringing the word this morning. May you speak through the book of James as you use Pastor Mike. And Lord, may you be glorified and shown for who you really are And continue to change us from the inside out, both in how we think and in what we do. So we love you very much, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So the reading this morning is from James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Thank you, Pastor.
0: are aware I called out to Westminster Presbyterian Church on Friday just to extend to that congregation and to the family our prayers and our sympathy as well because when a congregation grieves together they need to know that there are other congregations around the county grieving with them and they care deeply about them and so I wanted to share that with them and and uh, they were greatly appreciative of that as well so continue to pray for these needs for the families of Tyler and Tyrese over in the CV School District, as well as the Steer family at Westminster and the church family at Westminster. I want to also, before I begin to preach, welcome back the Dominican Republic Mission Team. And for all those who are present in the service today, we're glad that you are here, that you're back. You're probably sore, but thank you for the good work and ministry you did in the Dominican Republic. to ask you a very important question this morning. If you were tried in a court of law for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? If you were tried in a court of law for being a Christian, Would there be enough evidence to convict you? This question raises the age-old debate between faith and works and the place of both in our relationship with Jesus Christ. You have heard me say over and over and over again that we are not saved by anything we do. We are not saved by our works. We are saved by the grace of God and the faith in Jesus Christ alone. We are not saved. We do not earn forgiveness. We do not make our way into heaven because of what we have. Have done. The word of God clearly teaches this truth. One of the primary scriptures is in Ephesians chapter 2, where the apostle Paul writes these powerful words For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. But before we become too concerned about works, let's understand something very important. Works do have their place in our relationship with Jesus Christ. We are not saved by works. But when we are saved, the evidence of our salvation will be the works that we do as followers of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul goes on, and in verse 10, he reminds us of the place of works in our lives as followers of Christ when he writes, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared and advanced for us to do. If we are truly saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, There will be daily evidence of our salvation lived out in our lives. That evidence will be the works, or as James calls them, the deeds that mark who we are as followers. Hear me when I say this. I am saved, therefore I want to do good. It is not, I am good, therefore I am saved. There is not anything within Mike Sigmund that earns the favor of God. There is no goodness that I can bring to the table and say, God, look at me. Ray Dieter, you can't go and say, look at me. Look at what we've done, right? There is nothing in us. It is totally of God. But when you embrace the grace of God through the gift of faith that he gives you, then amazingly through the power of the now resident Holy Spirit, you begin to live out the works that are evidence of your salvation. Works are not needed to be saved. Faith alone saves us. But true faith, that faith that saves is more than head knowledge. It is more than intellectual assent. The faith that saves us is the surrender of our lives and a complete trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. The bottom line is this, James is concerned that talk is cheap. It's easy to go around and say, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, but the question is, if you were tried in a court of law for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you does your walk match your talk and the answer is yes if your faith is a saving faith that manifests itself that shows itself through the works that you do faith without works using the very strong language of James is useless it is unscriptural it is dead These are the precise points that James makes in James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. Look at the question with which he begins this text in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Is faith without works good, he asks. Can faith without works save? And he spends the rest of this chapter answering those questions for us. And the very first answer he gives is simply this. Faith without works is useless. Faith without works is useless. Say that with me. Faith without works is useless. Now, to illustrate that truth, he draws upon two different stories, one recorded in verses 15 and 16, the other recorded in verse 19. Remember, these illustrations underscore the uselessness of faith without works. And the very first story is the story of a needy fellow Christian. He needs food. He needs clothing. And so there's another Christian that sees his need, sees that he is hungry, sees that he, his clothing is not enough to keep him warm, not enough to, to provide well for him. And so that fellow Christian, what does he do? He says to him, oh, may it be well with you may you be well fed, may you be warm, you know what, go in peace. And doesn't do a single thing to meet the needs of that needy Christian. It's akin to seeing someone in need, and you have the ability to meet that need, you have the resources to meet that need, it wouldn't hurt you a bit to meet that need. In fact, it wouldn't be a problem if it hurt you a bit to meet that need. But all you do is say, I'll pray for you. And you walk away, and James says, that is not true faith. Listen, when you know the Lord Jesus Christ, when you have placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are transformed from the inside out, and God Almighty, through his spirit, literally inhabits you, resides in you. And so how can a true follower of Jesus Christ, when seeing a genuine need, not follow his Savior and say, I'll pray for you, but let me also help you because I can. James says, faith without works is absolutely useless. Now he goes on in verse 19, and he says something here that was shocking to his first century readers and maybe to us as well. He illustrates in verse 19 the story of believing demons. And in this story, James makes the point that there is a belief that is not true faith and that is the belief that the demons the minions of of the devil have where they believe that there's a god you bet they do the demons absolutely believe that there's a god the devil believes that there is a god but not for a moment james says should we ever think that that is a belief that is a true belief that is a faith that saves it is absolutely not it is akin to people saying when you engage them in conversation, this happened to me a number of times or quite a bit actually over the years where i 'll begin a conversation and we 'll just start talking. This happened a lot when I was traveling on on um, uh, for the denomination i 'd be on planes and we 'd have long flights and and people would always, uh, you know, talk, uh, at least my experience is they talk and they ask questions and, and, uh, what do you do for a living? And so at the time I was a bishop. And so that's like a bishop bomb. You know, when you drop that, it ends all conversation for the rest of the flight to Bangkok. But you know, and it's a long flight to Bangkok. So you know, I, I, there's no way to dance around it. What do you do for a living? I'm a bishop. Oh, oh, okay. And you know, can I get some candy or something, whatever. And, and so. Often, however, I was able to turn that into a conversation to talk about the faith. And so many times people would say to me, oh, I believe in God too. And that's a great opening. But when I would pursue, I believe in God too, it would lead nowhere else. They simply believed that there was a God. Sometimes someone would say to me, oh, I believe the big guy upstairs. Absolutely. I believe in the big guy upstairs, but it would lead nowhere else. That is not saving faith. Even the demons and the devil believe there is a higher power, and even they know he is God, the one true and living God, and they shudder. And so what James says to us is here's the deal. Talk is cheap. You can say things about Jesus that sound right, But the question is, do you believe what you're saying? And have you literally trusted your life to the one true and living God, the one who says, I am the way the truth and the life. Have you surrendered to him such that he has transformed you from the inside out and you are a different person today? That's what James is getting at. So when in verse 24, James writes that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. Some people who have just read Ephesians 2 like step back and say, man, I don't want to be around when James and Paul meet and have a conversation. Because Paul says it's by faith alone. James says it's not. There is no conflict there whatsoever. Because what James is talking about is not the saving faith that Paul references in Ephesians 2. He's talking about cheap faith. He's talking about the belief that the devil has that there is a God. And what James is saying is that is not enough. You need to have a robust faith that is more than just affirming the facts about Jesus, but literally surrendering your life to Jesus and trusting him with every fiber of your being. When you do that, your faith will give evidence that you love Jesus by the works, the actions, the deeds that you live out in your life. Faith without works is useless, That's what James says first. Secondly, James says faith without works is unscriptural. And so verses 21 to 25, if you need more evidence that faith without works is useless, he gives it to us. And he does it by using two very familiar Old Testament stories. Now, they are familiar especially to his first readers. Because remember, if you remember back four sermons, that when we started this series, We learned in James chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, that this letter is written to the diaspora, that is, Jewish Christians who had been spread hither and yon because of the persecution that broke out after the stoning of the first Christian martyr, Stephen. And these Jewish Christians from Jerusalem had to run for their lives to what was then the four corners of the earth. And so what's happening here is James is relating in the first century to his Jewish audience. But we can understand it because we have Old and New Testament. We know these stories as well. And so first of all, James says, remember Abraham. Remember Abraham. Do you remember Abraham? His story begins at the end of Genesis chapter 11. It picks up steam at the beginning of Genesis chapter 12 when God comes to Abraham and says, I want you to move. I want you to leave your homeland. I want you to take you and your wife, Sarah, and everything you have with you, and I want you to move. And by the way, when you Google map this, just write in God, because I'm not gonna tell you where you're going. You just you just type in God, and, and I will take you to the place where I want you to go. And Abraham does exactly what God calls him to do. It's kind of an up and down journey until we get to Genesis chapter 15. Now, what you need to know is that when God sent Abraham on the journey... God said to Abraham, I want to tell you something that's going to happen to you. I'm going to bless you in such an incredible way that someday your descendants will be so numerous, you will not be able to count them just like the stars in the sky. So, you know, this is in the back of Abraham's head. We're going on a journey. And uh, man, this is going to be a great journey. And I'm going to have, I'm going to have a family. And uh, we get to Genesis chapter 15. Scholars tell us that Abraham is now 75. His wife is now 65. And he's looking and he's saying, yeah, I don't think we're going to have a family. And so he engages God in conversation. And he says to God, I'm going to have to leave my estate to Eliezer of Damascus, who's one of my trusted servants. And God says to Abraham, no, you're not. And Abraham says, what do you mean, no, (laughs) I'm 75. (laughs) Of course I am. No, you're not, because I am going to give you a son. Now, friends, at that point, you know, you're 75. Your wife is 65. It sort of shames me when I say at the end of five hours of watching the four grandchildren that I'm tired. I mean, I'm shamed by that when I read this. You know, he's 75. He's going to have a child, you know, wow. And you know what God says? I am going to give you your child and your legacy that is so great you won't be able to count it. You know what Abraham's response was? In verse 6 of Genesis 15, the word of God says, Abraham believed the Lord, and it was credited to him for righteousness. Friends, those those are salvation terms. What that means is that Abraham didn't just say, oh yeah, okay, God, (laughs) whatever you say. No, you know what Abraham said? Okay, God, I believe you. I trust you. I surrender myself to you. And in the throne room of heaven, God declared his choice servant, Abraham, righteous. It took years, 25 years, until Isaac came along. And then Isaac grew up. And we fast forward in James chapter 2 to a story found in Genesis 22, when God comes to his choice servant, Abraham, and he tests Abraham. Abraham. And he says to Abraham, I want you to take your precious, much-loved son, Isaac, and I want you to sacrifice him. And the word of God shows no hesitation in Abraham. He does exactly what God called him to do because, you know, Abraham had a faith that was unwavering in his Lord. In fact, if the song had been written at the time, Abraham would have been the one singing, all my life he has been faithful, all my life he has been so, so good. He took that son of his whom he loved, he took him up Mount Moriah, he had no confidence other than his faith in the Lord that God would replace his son as a sacrifice. And when they got to the top, that's exactly what God did. You see that ram in the thicket, you get that ram, he'll be the sacrifice, not your son. James says, you want an example of real saving faith? You look at Abraham. Abraham was not all talk. He wasn't all hot air. He believed and trusted me. I credited to him his righteousness. And when I tested him, man, he did exactly what i ask him to do faith without works is useless it is unscriptural now that's not enough if that's not enough james tells another story and the other story is about a prostitute named rahab in a city called jericho her story is recorded for us in in joshua chapter 2 now somewhere along the line not recorded for us in the bible this prostitute left her checkered past, trusted in God, and became a faithful follower of his. And and she figures into the story about how God and his people conquered the pagan city of Jericho. You know, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down, you know. Hey, listen, when I learned this at Conestoga Church when I was a kid growing up, no one ever mentioned the prostitute. (laughs) Never came up. Never came up. Now think about that, you know, it didn't figure in the song or anything. Uh, they were, it was a more clean version of, but anyway, here's the deal. She had a past and it's not the one that you talk about in play company. And let me tell you about this past. This is the kind of past. Now hear this, that when you have it and you place your faith in the Lord, people are still a little unsure. And so of those folks, they say, well, yeah, you know her past, don't you? Is she really saved? And what James is saying is, you bet she is. She trusted God, and it was no just talk. It was real, such that when God's spies came and needed a place to stay and be hidden and protected at the risk of her life, Rahab brought them in, and then when they left, she sent them in a different direction so they would not be found. And James says, you want an example of faith that works? Look at Rahab. This was real faith, not just all talk. James is echoing the teaching of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. I bet you remember this, verses 16 and 17, don't you? where Jesus said, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, and every bad tree bears bad fruit. If you have true saving faith, then you are going to bear good fruit, and, and your, your faith will be evident by your works and your deeds. And that leads to a final point. Faith without works is useless, it's unscriptural, but faith without works is also dead. To put his argument that faith without works is dead into bold, underlined italics, to highlight it with every highlighter that he has in his closet, he writes this. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds... Is dead it doesn't save it doesn't give you eternal life I'm saved therefore I do good I do good out of the power of the Spirit given to me by the gift of God in my salvation it is not I'm good therefore I'm saved because none of us can do enough good In order to be saved this teaching from James is I believe intended to do what the Apostle Paul told Timothy all Scripture should do it should teach and instruct in righteousness it should correct and it should rebuke it should settle in the minds and the hearts of every Christian the right place of works in relationship to their faith these works that we're talking about are actually works of devotion works like a passion for God and reading his word a desire and delight spending time in prayer works of of charity seeing people in need and meeting those needs as so many of you do so well not being hard-hearted but being generous works of morality not being reckless in the way you live not Regarding your Christianity as a, oh, I go to church at 9.15 on Sunday morning at Grace Community Church. Depending on Prue's preaching, it's over by 10.30. <laughs> if it's Mike, hold on. But, you know, that's not it. That's not it. It's that you are a Christ follower and his word, is power, follows you. As you follow him, works of morality instead of reckless living, discipline, godly living, you want to do the things that please him because you love him. And so that leads me to a question today. If you were tried in a court of law for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you Let's pray together. Gracious and loving Heavenly Father, how we thank you for your powerful word that indeed does its work of teaching and instruction, correction, rebuke. We are grateful, Father, that you inspired James to write these strong words so that we would be reminded yet again that our salvation is a precious gift from you, not to be earned by anything we do, but to be received from you as a gift. That our salvation is not religion, it is relationship. And Lord, we thank you for that. We also thank you for the reminder and in some cases the conviction that's needed that as followers of Jesus Christ we need to be about the works and the deeds that please and honor you. We need to look like the Christians we tell others we are. That is so critical in the culture in which we live and which so many Christians are labeled by media and others as hypocrites. They're expecting us to be all talk, no action. Lord, I pray that part of the revival for which we pray would be such a powerful move of your Holy Spirit that as your followers, we would go to the point of sacrifice to demonstrate to this world who it is we follow. And so, to be a clear witness to this world, that there is only one Savior, and his name is Jesus. Thank you for your word. Thank you for its teaching. Thank you for its instruction today. And Lord, we thank you now for the opportunity that we are about to have, here and also for those who are at home, to share together in this supper that you instituted on the night that you were betrayed, We thank you, Father, that this supper is a supper that to the world is meager fare, but to us is the richest of fare, that satisfies to the very soul of our being a reminder, Jesus, that you died in our place on the cross, rose again on the third day by your broken body and shed blood. We had the forgiveness of sin and a new and eternal life. Lord, may this supper be precious to us. May our hearts well up with gratitude. May we not take it unthinkingly. May we not take it as an afterthought. May it be central to our worship this morning as we share together around this table of our Lord. We return thanks to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks for listening to today's message and choosing to spend some time with us. To get more information about Grace Community Church, our service times and location, check out our website at gccws.net.